Hi, and welcome to a special edition, an on-video edition of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. I am sports editor Chris Kwasinski. And I am Mizzou Athletics beat reporter Eric Blum. We have in front of us Harrison Nevis' NIL deal, the Thicker Kicker Burger from Campus Bar and Grill. They released the ingredients on Twitter yesterday, and I went by there, picked it up for us to try today just to see how it is. According to their Twitter, it is two one-third patties, four strips of bacon, two slices of Colby Jack cheese, lettuce, tomato topped with a thick-cut onion ring, and a special sauce. Anytime you can include a special sauce, you know you're doing it right. Uh, we figured in the name of journalism in 2021, we have to come and try it so we can review it for you, our valuable listeners and readers. So thank you so much for tuning in, and let's let's dig in, Eric. So full discretion, I have been to Campus Bar and Grill before, but I, I haven't had this. I've had burgers there. They're very good, but I haven't had this specific one. You've only been here a couple months, but have you yeah. been there before? I've never been there before. This is my okay. first burger. All right. Well, let's go for it. Let's go for it. Let's just make sure we don't overlap here. Yeah. All right. I would order that. That's really good. That special sauce. Yeah, I, I, I have an idea what it tastes like. I, 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 but that is actually delicious. That is, that really is good. The Colby Jack cheese is really the the winner for me here. That's an interesting choice mm. of cheese. Usually get like American or cheddar. That's really good. Now, is it any surprise to you that this burger is really good considering? Harrison Nevis himself has been really good this season, only missing one field goal last week against Georgia, which, uh, I mean, it was, it was a close one, too. So I think he's, what, uh, 13 or 14 on the season? That's over 90%, and this is I, this would get an A for me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this is definitely the 90 percentile of cheeseburgers for me, too. So. So, yeah, so I know Harrison is signing autographs after the South Carolina game at Campus Bar and Grill. We just, you know, thought we'd give this a shout-out. You know, this was really, really good, no doubt about it. This is the Mizzou Sports Podcast, presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune. I hope you guys liked our first cold open here at the Mizzou Sports Podcast, eating the Harrison Beavis kick, Thicker Kicker Burger. Not the usual intro we give you, but yes, we are here on Thursday, 11-11, November 11th. I, I am Eric Blum, as always, joined by Chris Kwasinski, and now we're, we ate the burger about a half hour ago. We did that with to combine the podcast, and we're going to do a video with our Saturday story on Harrison Beavis. We are coming to you two days before Missouri plays South Carolina. They did lose to Georgia this past weekend, as expected, 43-6. to Where do you want to start this week? Do you want to kind of look ahead or back, or what do you think, Chris? I think we should look back a little bit. I mean, uh, before we you know, tried the Thicker Kicker Burger all the way to last Saturday, to, to the question on really everyone's mind is, I mean, what's what, what did you think of the quarterback performance? Because I, I saw two specific styles of play, and one that looked really familiar with Brady Cook, uh, it really kind of felt like a little more athletic Connor Bazelak that was there. Yeah, uh, we talked a lot last week about what the quarterback situation would be. Connor Bays like did not end up playing. Um, I was driving around in Athens when I got, you know, to be perfectly blunt, tipped off that Taylor Tyler Macon was going to start the St. Louis Post Dispatch. It reported it uh, pretty much right around the same time that I got the text, but uh, it ended up being correct that Tyler Macon got the start. But he and Brady Cook ended up both getting five uh, possessions against Georgia. Both were responsible for a field goal. And thinking of the quarterback play. There's a difference between what you would want to do in general and what you want to do against Georgia. I think Tyler Macon proved that you know, that run element of his game is good, but as Brady Cook you know, kind of proved, he can run too. So, I mean, I wasn't overly dissatisfied or impressed with either one of them. I think they both did well enough to the point where they can have another opportunity, and we'll talk about whether we think they'll get that this weekend against South Carolina. But I don't think either one of them played well enough to where if Connor Bay is like 100%, he cannot. They they have to start over him. Connor Bay's like I think has proven he is still the guy who gives the uh, Missouri team the best chance at winning if 100 percent healthy. Oh, absolutely. And there's no question, especially when you look at uh, his arm strength, you know, the deep ball, and and just his overall command of the offense. Yeah. You can't. I mean, you can't say no to that, especially this this late in the game when you need your best players out there. And I mean, I like what I saw, especially from Brady Cook. You you saw little improvement from the first half to the second half. I think there was a third down where he scrambled and slid before the the first down marker and he got a, a pretty solid earful from from coach Drinkwitz. Oh, yeah. yeah he brought him to the side and was like well, get the first down and then he did there was a what was a fourth it was like fourth it was and, a fourth and nine it was a fourth and that. nine yeah and and he and he dove for it i mean he sacrificed his body to get that first down and that was that improvement we're like okay now he gets it now it's on the line now this is what you have to do to win an SEC football game and granted yeah it was they only mustered six points but they had a chance at the end to score 
a touchdown. And, and I don't want to oversell how big it is to score 13 points, but against that Georgia defense that, I mean, for any kind of moral victory to the point where that that would have been really cool. It would have been cool to see that there have not been many teams to score more than 10 points against Georgia this year. Oh, yeah. And the weird, the weird part about that is, I mean, you talk about Missouri scoring six points. I mean, they scored zero last time they were in Athens before this. And that was a very similar situation with backup quarterbacks playing and a young Connor Bazelak leading, leading Missouri down the field and probably should have scored on a pass that was dropped by a wide receiver at the end of the game, Dom Jacinto then. I mean, that sidearm pass, and we talked to Drink about whether you know that was on Tyler Macon, or I think he was throwing it actually to Daniel Parker Jr. on that fourth down, but whether that should have been completed or not. But it'll, it, it's weird to talk about how, okay, there's confidence coming out of a 37-point loss to the number one team in the country, but that was kind of the focus for Missouri this week where you saw a direction for the defense. I, th- I think while, while the execution still is not there for Missouri's defense, for the first time, maybe this season, we saw an identity. We saw a direction for this defense against Georgia. Maybe rising to the challenge of preparing for the number one team in the country, regardless of results, actually gave this team sort of a direction and sort of somewhat of an identity of, okay, we can actually stop the run now. And we're just going to you know stack the box with our best eight guys. I and mean, you can beat us on the outside. You can beat us on the outside. The fact of the matter is, I can't remember what website it was. There is a, a betting line website that had the over-under for Zamir White's rushing total at 99 and a half yards. Yeah, they, it was Odd Shark, I think. It was Odd Shark, yeah. yeah. And the, the fact of the matter is, no one had any faith whatsoever in Missouri to stop any kind of run, especially against Georgia's run-based offense with Stetson Bennett at quarterback. And they, they held both... Zamir White and, and is James Cook, correct? Yeah. Yeah, James Cook to under 100 yards. And yeah, like you could look at um they had a wide receiver end around that went for 37, but I don't really I don't really count that just because like that's one of those plays it was a gotcha play and Georgia's athletes just out athlete Mizzou on that play, but when it comes to just the run in general, like they forced Stetson Bennett to beat them with his arm. And granted, he made some really good throws, throws that last season he did he could not make. And but this year he's making those throws, and it shows you why they're number one overall in the polls. But that that's they forced Georgia to beat them with the pass game, which they did. And obviously that was the result. But at the end of the day, that's that was a win for the defense to to say like we need to stop the run, and you did. But now it's just up to you. Hey, can you stop the pass when you need to the most? There's a couple of things that were obvious to me being in the game in Athens. Number one, if you've never been there, that is number one on my list of SEC stadiums that I visited. That is just they they got it's it is just such a the middle of nowhere. Like the highway to get there from Atlanta has like stoplights in it, and it's just horrible. And there's you're just gonna hit traffic, and there is just no way to avoid there being a headache in the car going to Athens. That's unavoidable. But once you're there, once you're in the atmosphere around the campus. It honestly feels like this should be what college football is. This is exactly what you hear about, what you pitch to recruits. I mean, it says, I think, honestly, I was more impressed with Missouri still got Luther Burden. He saw all of this three days before he signed and still chose Missouri. Like, I'm looking around like, how did he turn all this down? Just, I mean, I know being a hometown hero really matters to the kid, but I'm like, I'm up close to Missouri, and I obviously know it better, and I'm up close to you. But I'm just like I'm blown. This is my second time to Athens. I'm still blown away by just how this works, and how just the atmosphere of the town. And honestly, it's a credit to Drinkwitz. But at the same time, you also have to look and see. Okay, when Missouri's offensive line lined up against Georgia's defensive line, and a lot has been made about Georgia's front seven this year. It was so obvious Georgia was so much bigger. Like, I've covered some high school games where it's just like, oh, this team's just better. I don't know I've ever seen it at that level, at the college level before. Like, I mean, I was there when Missouri played Alabama. I've been there last year when they played Florida and when they played Georgia in the past. I've been there and I've seen it. It was just mind-blowing how just – they just – I don't know if it was just the feel of how they played or how they – carried themselves but looking at a luke griffin who's not a small guy lining up against jordan davis who at 6'6 335 and luke griffin i think is like 6'2 285 but is not a small guy but just somehow it looks like harry potter next to hagrid if you know what i'm saying like I do yeah it just it it was just incredible to me i think there's there's something to be said for that specific stuff when you can look at um a specific team that one is good but then two knows it's good 
And I know Georgia knows, especially this defensive line, which is, it, there's no question it's the best in college football. And I think it may be at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, when you look back at it five years from now, could be one of those defensive lines that you look back at like, hey, that was one of the all-time greatest defensive lines we've ever seen play college football. And I always think the, um, I think it was 2018, the, that Clemson team with uh, Clyland Farrell, um, and, and their his you know extraordinary group of, of friends there. Um, I'm blank. I only say that because I blank on the rest of them. But that, I mean, yeah, that, me too. Yeah, that, I'm right there. That, that that group of defensive linemen was incredible. Christian Wilkins, another one of them that I was thinking of. Um, I mean, guys that are now in the NFL that were top. Of, I mean, first round draft picks. I mean, when you look back at it three years from now, it's going to be that that kind of defensive line. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, when I think about that, you go against the Alabama, Alabama team, and that Alabama defensive line is essentially now the Washington football team defensive line, mm-hmm. and, Chase, and then Chase Young. That's essentially who they are, and so. I was like, ah, I don't know who, who's on Clemson, but there was also uh, Jamon Davis, who is now on the Redskins, or whatever their new name is going to be, the Washington football team, who played at Kentucky last year, and we got to see him live. But I think going forward and going into the South Carolina game, you have to just look and see what can be taken from this, what can be you know thrown away with bathwater. It's the number one team in the country. You know, Some things are going to happen. Does Missouri, you know, is Missouri able to capitalize on the things that went right? And there were some from the Georgia game. And can they turn in a performance the rest of the year where we see a little bit of what we expected from this team from the jump? At the end of the day, the best that Missouri can do right now is 7-5. and five. They're 4-5 and five at the current moment. But I really do think that any of the four possible records left for Missouri, all of them are on the table. I wouldn't have said that before this week, and I thought there was no realistic way that Missouri could have run the table and won the final three. Combined with other results, which we'll get into, combined with how Missouri finally has some sort of an offensive and defensive identity, they always kind of had it on special teams with the thicker kicker, Harrison Mavis, and his wonderful burger. They have one of the most consistent punters in the country and, you know, uh, kickoff specialist. He's not a place kicker, kickoff specialist, Sean Ketting and Grant McKinnis in the country. It's really, you know, if you didn't have that defense with it, it was always going to be that just, it was always going to be that thing that brought you down. Now, does Missouri with favorable matchups the rest of the year defensively compared to Georgia? I mean, I mean, Florida's still got a good offense. Arkansas still got a good offense. South Carolina's okay. But can they use that ability to, you know, get at least two wins, maybe three, get to that bowl game and then get the monkey off your back if you have not won a bowl game since 2014. You know, I was graduating college last time, you know, and that was seven years ago that Missouri won a bowl game. You were still in college, Chris. Mm -hmm. And so here's how long ago that was. I think about this. This was the second to last year under Gary Pinkle. Drew Locke had not yet thrown a pass from Missouri the last time Missouri won a bowl game. Yeah. You got to get that off your back. Yeah, you got to get that off your back. And it's funny that you bring up other other results too, because I know we'll get into that in a little bit too. But I I sat back last Saturday and kind of looked at the scores and the results, and um, I, I I'm struggling to find words because I'm just kind of remembering what I was feeling at that moment when I saw the score of South Carolina, Florida. When I look back and I said, "Wait, I expected this to be 40 to 17, Florida, not the other way around." And then the resulting mass panic from Florida this 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 throughout this week. So, uh, and I know we'll get into that in a little bit too. Right, and this will be a good chance to introduce Corey Diaz. I talked to him earlier this week, our USA Today Network reporter who covers South Carolina for the Greenville News. I think at Anderson and a couple other papers down there. Talked to him about this matchup. Got a front row seat to that South Carolina twenty three point win over Florida. Broke that down and really broke down what the direction for Shane Bieber and that program is down there. You know and looking forward there are a lot of similarities between eli last year and shane now so without further ado here's my interview earlier this week with Corey diaz joining the news sports podcast this time the south carolina athletic beat reporter for the greenville news and the usa state network Corey diaz how you doing Corey? eric i'm doing very well man how are you appreciate you having me uh i'm doing well how are things in the other columbia <laughs> Sister cities, right? Um, I guess so, yeah. Um, we uh, just got done visiting with um, Shane Beamer and um, a handful of players uh, for their weekly media availability. And, um, you know, I think it goes without saying, right, you you beat Florida the way that South Carolina beat them on Saturday night, and the energy, the enthusiasm, the buzz around the football facility building is uh, is at a different uh, level than it has really probably ever even since before the season started. 
I guess we'll, I guess we'll start there. Just how big of a surprise was it to see South Carolina just kind of thrash Florida? I mean, kind of looking forward to the matchup. I mean, they Vanderbilt probably should have beat South Carolina. Then they performed pretty bad against Texas A&M, and then that. Just how much of a surprise was it? Sure. I mean, uh, you know, I guess I'll answer your question quickly and then kind of a two-parter here. Uh, start with myself personally as, uh, you know, someone who's been around this football program now for a couple of months. Um, I was a little, I was a little surprised by how, just how well prepared and how efficient and the way, especially offensively, South Carolina executed against Florida. Obviously, when you look at Florida's roster from top to bottom, uh, I think I heard a stat the other day in terms of, you know, you know, putting together the last four recruiting classes, uh, Florida has the seventh most talented roster in all of college football. And for South Carolina to, you know, which again, we hadn't seen through the first eight games, uh, just, just the level of execution and efficiency, um, was at, was at a season high. Uh, and I don't think there's any argue that. I don't think anybody would question that. Uh, so I, me and I think a lot of my other uh, fellow South Carolina beat, uh, Riders would uh, would all be in uh, one accord when I say that you know we were a little surprised um, just how that game unfolded and how and just really how well South Carolina just kind of took control of the game almost from the jump and, and never you know let go uh, you know from a uh, according to you know Shane and his players you know there was not a surprise within the football team uh, you know they felt like you know coming off the the off week and. The way that they have prepared, the way that they had practiced, uh, you know, just kind of looking at themselves. They did a, a load of self-scouting over the off week, and really it was more about them. It was more about South Carolina Gamecocks and what they could have done to uh, become a much better, much more competitive football team. And, you know, everything really just kind of – I don't know if it was, you know, planets aligning, uh, you know, or, or what have you, but everything just – clicked with South Carolina. Everything came together for them on Saturday night and, and uh it just so happened that, you know, Florida was the uh <laughs> was the lucky loser here. Does it does it feel like a fluke almost or is this kind of what we should expect from South Carolina coming forward? That's the standard of their play now. Eric, that's that's the um that's the sixty four thousand dollar question, right? Uh for, for your listeners who used to watch Who Wants to be a Millionaire, right? You had to get that question right. right. To get <laughs> to have that question to get to the million dollars, so uh, it, it to me, man, it, it just remains to be seen. Um, you know, because here's the deal, and you mentioned it a second ago. You know, South Carolina had no business beating Vanderbilt three weeks ago, um, but they somehow squeaked that game out. Uh, well, if you fast forward, you know, or if you rewind three weeks prior to that, they should have beat Kentucky. And so, you know, who is this South Carolina team right now? Um, I, I. I struggle to to have a definitive answer to that kind of question. Um, I do think, though, especially from a schematics and game plan standpoint, what what we all saw on the field at Williams Bryce Stadium on Saturday night, especially from a run game standpoint, a lot of the run game concepts I think will remain in the game plan. Uh, they kind of switched some things up. Uh, you know, they had been more of a you know uh, wide gap and and you know low gap zone run scheme team, um, you know, the first eight games of the year. They came out against Florida and, and uh, really relied heavily on, you know, uh, counter plays, draw counter plays. And, and uh, you know, they actually ran some some <laughs> some old school power I formation plays with, with Trey Jones at the fullback spot. So um, I do think we'll continue to see a lot of those co- different offensive concepts uh, stay within the game plan, especially with Jason Brown now being the quarterback for South Carolina moving forward and for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, because he brings a different skill set uh, as opposed to Zeb Noland and, and even a, you know, what we now know to have never really have been a 100% healthy Luke Doty before him. And so, uh, you know, having that mobility, having that ability to, uh, you know, escape pass rush, uh, keep his eyes downfield and, and make really accurate throws on the run. You know, the, it 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 brings back that that dimension and that element to the offense that uh, has been missing uh, so far this year for South Carolina. Tell me a little bit more about Shane Beamer. I mean, just kind of from the outside looking in, it, it seems like there's some similarities between the last year Eli Drinkwitz and this year Shane Beamer. Just kind of you know, 
uh, regaining momentum with the program and trying to do, you know, just a lot of things to kind of engage the fan base and really exceeding expectations in year one. I'm not sure what expectations were for the South Carolina team, but at least it didn't seem very high, you know, to the point where I went over Missouri would get them to bowl eligibility. It didn't seem like that was on the table for this team. So you t- tell me about the energy he's brought to the program, maybe even from a, a recruiting perspective as well, and just how he's kind of being, you know, how he's kind of fared in year one. Sure. Uh, you know, I think, you know, with his with his former stint here on staff under Steve Spurrier, you know, I think that was a big help for him. You know, once he got this got this job, there's there was a lot of connections, obviously not just, you know, around the city of Columbia itself, but also around, you know, the state of South Carolina too. A lot of those relationships, you know, had been preserved even as he had, you know, had moved on and and coached at Georgia for a couple of years, was with Oklahoma, you know, for two or three years. You know, those those relationships just kind of, uh, you know, stood the test of time. And then once he's come back, you know, it's, again, like from a recruiting standpoint, I think it was it was a fairly smooth transition for him. You know, once he once he hired, you know, his guys on his staff, you know, really it was at that point it was, you know, we got to hit the ground running. You know, I think he came in. Um, you know, less than a week before that early signing period uh, back in December. And, um, you know, obviously they had come in and initially, you know, you, you point your eyes toward the, you know, what we now <laughs> – now what we now know is the late signing period, right, in February. But uh, in terms of the energy and enthusiasm, uh, you know, I remember, you know, when I first got here, this is my uh, first year on the beat, of course, and, um, you know, I remember moving – here to Columbia from from Monroe, Louisiana, off the Louisiana Tech Grand Lake State beat, and just just you know driving somewhere around town, you know whether it was a shopping mall or you know uh, you know like a local sports pub or something, and just kind of overhearing you know just just strangers you know talk uh, in and around me you know just about you know, what they had felt about Shane Beamer and the South Carolina football program and what they had felt like the direction would be with him, you know, in that position. And I know before the season started, it was, it was all positive. You know, everyone was really looking forward to, you know, what this team was going to look like, how it was going to come together and, and how Shane could, you know, navigate a, you know, um, you know, let's be honest, it was kind of a depleted roster when he got here. I mean, it still obviously is, um, you know, a lot of kids left after Will Muschamp was was let go, and um, you know, and, and with short amount of time on the recruiting period for the last recruiting cycle, you know, it's kind of hard to make up a lot of that ground. And so, um, I mean, and we see it. You know, I, I think this past Saturday night against Florida was a great example of of just kind of Shane's influence on this football team. I think, I think you saw a team that was having fun. I think you saw a team that was. Uh, you know, just really bonded together, uh, you know, attacking a, a single mission, you know, all at the same time. And, you know, those are things that, you know, Shane has been preaching since day one. And, um, you know, he is I, – I was always told when I first took this job that, you know, Shane's going to be really good to work with. Um, you know, as far as the football goes, you know, Shane wasn't necessarily hired for, you know, his X's and O's. Shane was more of a culture hire. You know, the the previous coaching staff, from a culture standpoint, was was not up to uh, almost all the South Carolina Gamecock fans, uh, and then also some within the you know athletic department. You know, they didn't like the culture that was exuding from the football program, and so they they went and hired a, a culture guy. And Shane Beamer ended up being that guy. And uh, I don't think there's any question um, if you spend five minutes around this football team that you would know that the culture here is is beyond what it had been the last two two or three four years um, under the the previous coaching staff. What's kind of the outside view of this Missouri team? Uh, is South Carolina just kind of like thinking this, the, the spread's kind of close, but we think we got this, and you know, Missouri's sputtering, especially after playing the number one team in the country, or is there more? Yeah, a tentative nature kind of coming to a Missouri team that has won the last two times against South Carolina. Yeah, I definitely think it's more tentative, Eric. Um, I don't – South Carolina has uh, – and, and Shane Beamer would agree with me when I say this, and I think a lot of the players would agree with me when I say this too. South Carolina, just because they, they beat Florida about 23 points, you know, three days ago, 
they are in no position to take any opponent or any game for granted at this point. They, you know, they are still a work in progress. You know, they are, <laughs> you know, I mean, they lost by 27 points, you know, at Georgia earlier this year, you know, which is almost the exact same amount, you know, average margin of defeat that Missouri had this past weekend. So, I mean, these are, I think these are these are much more evenly matched teams than probably the the, the passerby South Carolina Gamecock fan would assume uh, just from hearing you know uh, word of mouth statistics about this Missouri team. Uh, I do think they're very they're very very evenly matched and um, you know again I don't I don't think South Carolina has I don't think they have the mindset to to go into any game thinking that. You know they can just show up and, and step off the bus and, and win a football game. I think they know that you know they're going to have to they're going to have to go and earn any win. If there's any wins left on the schedule, they're going to have to go out and they're going to have to earn it. How do you think this one kind of ends up? I mean, do you see based on you know Missouri's kind of problems with the run defense that they've had, even though they did, did it okay against Georgia, uh, but you know do you see this one as kind of a game that more favors South Carolina, or is it one that maybe Missouri? Can kind of battle and make its way to bowl eligibility itself. Yeah, uh, that's you know, that's a really good question. Obviously, ever since the Florida game, you know, I've 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 been inundated with you know emails, texts, and and you know just people talking to me about oh South Carolina's you know they're going to get their sixth win this weekend, right? They're just going to go to you know Missouri and just win a game because we the best we've looked all year long and. And, and while that certainly is true, I, again, I, you know, I would not be surprised if this is a situation where South Carolina is riding so high after, credit to them, a really big win and can come out and be flat, you know. And I, and I do think there is an opportunity here for, you know, Missouri to capitalize on, capitalize on that if, in fact, South Carolina does come out and they don't start the game fast. You know, they kind of meander through the first two or three offensive possessions. And, and if the defense isn't completely locked in, you know, and, and Missouri's able to get some points on the board early, you know, this could be a situation where, you know, they might just dig a hole a little too deep too early and they can't claw their way back out. But uh, if South Carolina, if their offensive line can perform, at 75 to 80 percent, the way it performed against Florida the other night, I do think that 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 unit alone can probably put this team in position to win in Columbia, Missouri, on Saturday afternoon. Uh, so no pressure on them, of course. But it, you know, if they if South Carolina can run the ball like they did this past weekend, uh, you know, I think that puts them in a in a very clear position to to win at Missouri on Saturday. Sounds good. Where can, where can everybody find you online and read your work from the opponent's perspective this week? Yeah, man, absolutely. Uh, I'm uh, always engaged on Twitter. Uh, my handle there is at Corey Diaz underscore T-G-N, and that's C-O-R-Y-D-I-A-Z underscore T-G-N. Uh, also on Facebook and, and as well as our um, our website, which is uh, greenbullonline.com. Um, always love to engage in and uh and fans and readers, whether they're South Carolina fans or fans of opposing teams, love to love to get that banner going. So um but Eric, I appreciate you, man. Appreciate your time and, and for giving me the opportunity today. No, of course are you coming up here to the other Columbia this weekend? Oh yeah, man. I'll be flying in uh Friday morning, landing in St. Louis around noon, I believe, and then be driving over. So uh, I'm excited for it. I was going to say, it's a good move of avoiding the Columbia Airport. I will tell you that. Very good move. But, uh, yeah, stay in touch this weekend. We'll definitely we'll definitely see each other for sure. Thank you, man. Awesome. Appreciate it, man. We would like to thank our sponsors for the Columbia Daily Tribune's Mizzou Sports Podcast, University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create the perfect event. Their passion for food, Service and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event, no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, here to help life go right. The Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. Follow Mizzou football with the Tribune's Tiger Extra Newsletter. 
Sign up at ColumbiaTribune.com slash Tiger Extra for stories, galleries, and podcasts in your inbox every Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. So, John, question. With Auburn firing Gus Malzahn, it leaves Ed Ogeron as the SEC's only coach who has beaten Nick Saban. Who's going to be the next SEC coach to beat Saban? Well, I don't think he'll be the guy that a lot of people think he will be. Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M. I like Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. He almost beat Saban last year, and he almost beat Saban when he was at Tennessee. Fisher promised he was going to thump Saban's rump whenever Alabama comes to College Station. I think he's got a shot. He improved Texas A&M to 9-1 last year. He's got a national championship to his name. If Haynes King is the real deal, he's got an early opportunity in October to beat Nick Saban. Look at Saban's track record for losses. It's usually to a great quarterback. Cam Newton, Johnny Manziel, or Joe Burrow. Matt Corral at Ole Miss, I think, could be the best quarterback in the league. I'm Blake Topmeyer, and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week, we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC. I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports columnist John Adams. Let's just say he's got a few decades on me. Not as many decades as some people think. Contrary to popular opinion, I did not cover General Neyland, but I did interview Bear Bryant and I interviewed Nick Saban and I covered Archie Manning and Peyton Manning. More insightful interview, John. Bear Bryant, Archie Manning, Steve Spurrier, or Johnny Majors? Gotta go with Steve Spurrier there. He's the great quipster. SEC Football Unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you once again to Corey Diaz for joining us on this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast. Definitely great to catch up with him. And, you know, he'll be here on Saturday. I know we'll obviously be at the game on Saturday, Chris. How do you kind of see Missouri, South Carolina, ending up here? I mean, I, the spread has really been within a field goal either way. This seems like kind of a mess. I mean, Missouri doesn't know where they're starting quarterback. South Carolina might have just figured out their quarterback with Jason Brown, but they've had, I think, three or four starters this year. These teams both kind of seem like they're organized chaos yeah the when i'm looking at it now i mean i think back to the beginning of the season with with zeb nolan who's the guy that was i know he started day one that's a guy that was a walk-on uh was at uh, north dakota state i believe iowa state iowa state yeah and then um i mean wasn't supposed to play i believe and then and ended up earning the starting quarterback spot and i was there for a while i know injuries kind of threw that quarterback position into a into a uh, tussle, I guess, if you could put it that way. Into a tizzy? A tizzy, that's a good Is one. Is what you're looking for? Yeah, yeah. a tizzy, yeah. Uh, where Luke Doty started, and, but now it's Jason Brown. And, I mean, Jason Brown was a guy that led him to the win over Florida. So, I mean, how how could you argue against that? But um, so far, Jason Brown's thrown three touchdowns and two interceptions, 59 completion percentage, and that's who Mizzou is going to be facing this Saturday. So, it all comes down to me is who's playing quarterback for Missouri. Because if it's Connor like I'd like to see – you know, I'd like to see Connor against Jason, just kind of you know, duking it out that way, old school. But um, if they go to the dual quarterback style, then um, uh, frankly, I would play Tyler Macon um, just just to get that running that that running game going, just to get that that dual threat action, especially seeing how it worked the first drive against Georgia. I would play Brady Cook, and he, here's why: I, I don't think Tyler Macon is as good of a runner that it it he compared to Brady Cook that literally makes him have to play. And I think that having the year in the offense, having the arm strength of a Brady Cook combined with maybe his running isn't as good as Tyler Macon's, but across the board, what other stat would you say Tyler Macon is better than Brady Cook at right now? We, To be honest with you, we really, we really don't know. We haven't seen enough of them play. But going off of just what we've seen from the past and especially from the Georgia game, I think Brady Cook, you know, could be the guy you go with. I, I mean, Missouri didn't get off to the greatest start, I mean, against Georgia. Then again, they didn't finish well either. I mean, they, they didn't. However, I think we saw enough progress from a Brady Cook to where I think against the South Carolina who – I mean, I think that could be successful as well. But I think Brady Cook knows more of the playbook. Brady Cook – this is if Connor Bays I couldn't play, by the way. Like, my choice – if Connor – I might even take – if Connor Bays like is able to play – I might even take Connor Bays like at 80, 75% over either one of these two guys, to be completely fair, because he's been there before, and I just think his recognition and durability and just overall skill 
gives Missouri the best chance to win. If he is not going to dress, I go Brady Cook for the reasons I just described. Although I think the correct option is Brady Cook is going to start, but Tyler Macon, we'll see Tyler Macon in there somewhere. I think maybe even we see a two-quarterback set at some point in the game, some sort of wildcat. You have a guy like Tyler Beatty you can run around the field. I think Kiki Chisholm was a high school quarterback. You know, you can do those kinds of things. Let's open up the playbook. What do you have left to lose this season? You need two wins. I mean, with Missouri's APR score, they could get into a bowl at 5-7, and seven, but that's a long shot, and you shouldn't hope for it. Missouri needs two of these last three. I think your best chance technically to win a game left is the one coming up this weekend. Why don't you just throw everything out there and see what sticks? You have to, because this, this really is a season in the balance. I mean, you, you mentioned the APR score, but you have to win this game to even give yourself a chance to be considered through the APR way, the, that, that entire avenue and that route. But uh, And I know it's different. I know it's weird. It's kind of kind of saying, okay, we're at five wins. It's out of our hands now. And you have to hope that a lot of other teams don't get to that six-win threshold. But but still, you, you give yourself a chance. But um, but still, I, I agree with you. It's it's interesting when you kind of, kind of think about what you think Drinkwitz would want to play more. Is it the dual threat ability? Is it the, the option to open up the playbook a little bit more with some zone read schemes, a little bit of that option feel, um, and, and hope that Macon kind of progresses as a passer as the week went on through practice? Or do you want to go with the guy that you saw visible progression with throughout the game? And he talked a lot about this in past press conferences where he's like, I'm going to play the guys that show out in practice, that show that they want to be here, that they, that they want to progress, that they want to get better, and they give it all out. Uh, leave it all in the field when when they have to in, in practice and on the field too. Uh, so it, it it really just depends on what what he wants. And I the more I think about it, I think the more you're right. If if Baszler cannot go, then it's going to be Brady Cook just because you saw that that visual progress. And I'm sure in practice this week he's probably giving the same thing. So um, but that that also leads into the idea of you got to leave everything out there to give yourself a chance. But at the end of the day. There was so much that went on last week to think maybe Mizzou has a better chance against Florida than we thought at the beginning of the season. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I thought it would be closer. I mean, it went it went from this, these are the teams that are probably going to finish second and third in the SEC East to Florida's spir- spiraling out of control, and I kind of like to see the, that. You know, I just I mean, I've never really been a fan of Dan Mullen personally or professionally. And so to see kind of how he's just operating and how things are going down there, you know, it, it, it's not exactly the, the, the eyesore, you know, people think it would be. But at the end of the day, Missouri is kind of right there. I mean, both programs, I think, right now are four and five. You know, the end of the, uh, this is a Florida team that a little over a month ago almost beat Alabama. And it's just been towering down since then. And, and getting in the college ball playoff talk, I, I don't know why that doesn't matter when you have a one-loss Alabama. But anyway, um, going into the last three games, I mean, I didn't think Arkansas looked that great against Mississippi State either. They still won, and I think it'll it'll show a little bit when they play LSU this weekend. But I'm not exactly sure Missouri can't easily—not I don't want to say easily, but outclass any of the last three they have left. And they can't get on a roll if they don't get started now. And the tough part about that is— what South Carolina team is going to show up? And we talked about this with Corey. We really don't know. If the South Carolina team that shows up that played, played Florida, Missouri's chances of winning probably plummet. If we get the South Carolina that played Vanderbilt that should have lost at home to Vanderbilt, Missouri can win this game pretty easily. Yeah. Um, and, and this is a really interesting stat for you here. Uh, ever since that one player last year against LSU with Florida, ever since he threw that shoe, Dan Mullen's record is 4-8. and eight. So... Uh, right now, it's but it's a very interesting spot that you mentioned, especially for Florida when you want to talk about specifically this weekend. Where, I mean, this is a program where it, I mean, you search Dan Mullen's name on Twitter, and the first thing to, to auto fill is Dan Mullen fired. I mean, he's just not sitting in a good spot right now. His comments about recruiting were taken out of not, not out of context, but I mean, they they were taken and plastered everywhere, and people saying, "Well, he doesn't like to recruit." What's going on? And then immediately and today, they lost a four star, I believe, a four star wide receiver prospect at Georgia of all teams. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is a team that. That is not in a good spot right now and when you think about it holistically that's just where it is but if you're Missouri that's that's you I don't want to say you hope for another bad loss you'd hope for another bad result but I mean you hope you hope that status quo sticks because in coming here next week when you always mention we've mentioned this so many times in this podcast that Florida does they never play well for O. no so when you when you bring that and you mix the two things together you're gonna have an opportunity to maybe get to six wins going into the Arkansas game so like it's just in this season of twists and turns takes another one and, and you never know we might have another one with Arkansas this weekend with Sam Pittman I know they 
just talked about how he re-aggravated an injury when he was celebrating oh, yeah. with his dog. So um, there, there's a lot that there's a lot that's gone on, and and frankly, but obviously it starts this week. It starts this week with, with South Carolina, a team that is on the rise. And how do you quell that? How do you kind of bring them down and kind of just focus in on okay, like yeah, you've got momentum, but now you're coming to our house. How do we? How do you stop that? That's not my job to figure out, but we'll we'll see how how it yeah. goes, and just put you on the hot spot here, Chris. This one ends up being a Mizzou victory or loss. Or I'll rephrase it this way: large Mizzou win, small Mizzou win, small South Carolina win, big South Carolina win. Which I want to go. Four? I want to go small Mizzou win. Um, and honestly, we and we joked about this a little bit earlier in in a staff meeting, but. I really do think it comes down to Harris Amoebus. I really do think it comes down to Amoebus field goal. And I mean, there's no perfect setting to the point where after the game, he's signing autographs <laughs> at, at, at B12. There, at, there's like You weren't here when it was called B12. I've, I've heard it's called B12, and I'm not going to call it the other. I heard it. I, that's that's what I've heard, and I'm sticking to it. Okay. So uh, Neither, I, Let's be fair. Not, I wasn't here when it was called B12. That's why I call it Campus Bar and Grill, and okay. it sounds so formal. But... Uh, but like you set the scene perfectly you know there's three seconds left he lines up for a 50 plus yard field goal to beat south carolina and then he nails a field goal down the center as he always does with his consistent leg and then they carry him off to b12 and he signs autographs and he has a great day everybody has a thicker kicker burger and we're going home happy like that to me that's the perfect scenario here it's the perfect setting and there's nothing that's going to mess that up Mizzou wins with a field goal by Harrison Mewis. So in this scenario, do they have, like in the Duke's Mayo Bowl, they spread mayo on the coach. Do they have thicker kicker burgers and some fries already made in like a Gatorade jug and they throw it on him after he hits the field goal in this scenario? It's the special sauce. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I like this scenario, and, and it, it's like Rudy, but for kickers. I mean, I, I guess. I mean, Harris Mewis has, has hit a game-winning field goal against Arkansas again uh, on this field before. And... It, I, you you were put on the spot. I'm the only one of us that chose South Carolina in the pick 'em. Missouri favored by one, and so I guess just for argument's sake, I'll go small South Carolina win. I just think that in term and in, in terms of Missouri outclassing anybody, I don't think that's going to happen the rest of the year. I also think that there's a great possibility that South Carolina's heads are too high. You just you can't get there. Missouri was brought down to. Earth a couple times this year they were brought down to earth and we probably should not have overlooked how that Mississippi State game at the end of last year as much as we did. But there's more proof to the pudding of what South Carolina has done this year. I mean, both teams really don't have that much of a critical win. The one outlier is Florida. You know, at the end of the day, South Carolina's I think other wins are like Eastern Illinois, East Carolina, Vanderbilt, and somebody, another group of five team I'm forgetting. And that's just basically what Missouri has, you know, at the end of the day. Missouri doesn't have that other SEC win to hang their hat on yet. And that could happen this weekend. So I'll go, I mean, if Harrison, that scenario happens, Harrison Mavis, I don't think he's going to miss. But maybe it looks like the Boston College game a little bit. I I think maybe that scoreline, that range of a 34 31 kind of small South Carolina win is kind of where I'm thinking, but it would not surprise me at all to see Mizzou win. I think if this game is decided by more than 10 points either way, that would surprise me more than who wins. Yeah. Um, on the spot, would it go to overtime then? No. Okay. No overtime. we got to make our deadlines. <laughs> Fair no enough. more overtimes. Fair enough. I'm a big, big fan of no overtime. Uh, but so now kind of looking ahead from Missouri, we did talk a little bit about Florida, and I want to kind of bring it full circle with, you know, just – Looking into next week a little bit, looking into – I mean, I'm really looking forward to these back-and-forth press, press conferences between Dan Mullen and Eli Drinkwitz. It's going to be hysterical. But just what do you – are you looking forward to kind of next week a little bit more than this week because of that? Or where do you kind of stand? I, I think it's a two-week – honestly, it's, for me, it's a two-week process. To me, I'm looking forward to this week to seeing what Mizzou does because, like we were talking about, it's all on the line this week. And, and um, we, t- we touch on a little bit of this in our uh, Tiger Extra game day wrap a little bit too where we talk about, like, this is the season in the balance. You don't win this game, then the rest of the season really doesn't mean squat because, I mean, you can't count on winning – against Florida and at Arkansas. I mean, maybe you maybe things change in the, in the week, but I mean, it, it all starts here and it all starts kind of getting that second respectable win in the Southeastern Conference. So um, once you start here, we see their performance and I think you can build off, like we mentioned, some of, the, some of the positives from last week going into this. But I think about it and it's an exciting two-week process because I really am excited to see Florida come here. I'm really excited to see that program and see what Dan Mullen has to, in response to what has really been an awful week. 
And I mean, it really reminds me of when, um, and I'm going to bring back my Notre Dame phantom here, when, when Notre Dame was down in 2016. I mean, that was a consistent week after week of just like, okay, like this is, this sucks. This is, this is not fun. And, and Brian Kelly never rebounded that season, but maybe Dan Mullen can. Maybe he can find a way to come back from it because they almost beat Florida. I mean, excuse me, they almost beat Alabama. I mean, they were right there with them. So, I mean, this is that this is that part where it's like, what what happens, you know? And maybe Missouri has a chance to get that signature win of the season, and it's exciting to think about. It's weird to call South Carolina a signature win, but Missouri has won this the last two years after after a three-game losing streak or maybe even a four-game losing streak to South Carolina. It'll be fun. We'll have all your coverage at ColumbiaTribune.com slash sports for sure. Anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here this week? Yeah. Uh, how ironic was it that Mizzou struggles with South, uh, Central Michigan to start the basketball season? Oh, but. we didn't. Yeah, we need, probably should talk on some basketball. Yeah, the basketball season did start on Tuesday. At times, Missouri looked pretty bad. At times, Missouri looked great. They did end up beating Central Michigan again by, I think, by 10, the exact same margin the football team did. Football mm-hmm. team won 34-24. Basketball team won 78-68 to over the Chippewas. And we've, from what we've seen with this team, they have embodied Conzo. I mean, diving for loose balls. They're long. They're athletic. Just in times, just offense looks stagnant in times. They just don't have that yet that go-to guy that get me a bucket type center guy and plus i think they don't really have a player over six eight they can really play that well i mean jordan Moore looked all right yeah i hate to still raw as a freshman i mean they're a jeremiah tillman away from being an ncaa tournament team but without jeremiah tillman i'm not sure they're even an nit team so yeah just what were your overall first impressions of missouri men's basketball that is yeah it's it was one of those things where i sat back and i, and I realized like this team once it started to get once it started to get going, and I wrote a comment about um, Javon Pickett, and as he started to get more into the game, as he started to score points and kind of just take it on and put the onus on himself to start leading the team, you could see the juice start to flow from him to other players, where they started diving for loose balls, they started getting uh, rebounds, and I mean, Ronnie, uh, Ronnie DeGray, I mean, he was I mean phenomenal in his first game. I mean, a double double. That's that's the juice that you're looking for. There's a five minute stretch where Central Michigan didn't score, and he was a big reason why just he kept getting offensive rebounds and kept he just kept the ball in Missouri's in Missouri's uh, court and, and you just saw him just kind of keep going there and that's the part where you kind of realize okay that's where you need to go to guy to get a bucket because they get a bucket or two there then Central Michigan's when they cut it to two it's not cutting it to two it's cutting it to maybe eight it's cutting it to ten it's cutting it to six maybe at, at the at the least so um, that's what I think about when I watch that team and and it just comes down to guys being taking better shots. I mean, Boogie Coleman, I saw him take a step back three, which I was like, that's that was fun. That's a juice play where you can get guys energizing off the bench and, and into the game, too. And uh, but other than that, I mean, this is the first I mean, this is, Central Michigan has a new head coach. They're going up against a team with virtually no film, nothing to scout on, missing three guys. And so maybe you get one of those guys that to come back and then you're fine. And you never know. And I, I like that a lot, especially when it, when it comes to the basketball season. It's just, it's a lot, it's a lot more fun sometimes to cover basketball than football, especially when you, <laughs> yeah, when you when you can get the excitement going. And um, but I liked it a lot. I I think it was a good win, especially for a team that there's so much else going on around it, uh, with the players missing, with going up against a, a team you couldn't really scout to get a to get a decent win at home. It sounds like from what Conzo told us, you know the. the Biggest player missing was Deshaun Gordon. They did miss also Trevin Brazil, who's out, been out kind of long term with an undisclosed medical non-COVID issue. And then it sounds like Caleb Brown just had like the flu, you know, and that's why he was out. So you should have a full kind of rotation back for whenever Missouri plays next. I believe it's Monday against UMKC. And yeah, I mean, at one point Missouri did was only trailing by two, or sorry, was winning by two in that second half after leading by as many as I think nineteen. And those kind of dips kind of happened a lot last year. I mean, it's a whole different roster, but it's kind of an unfortunate trail in Missouri. Like when they were playing Kentucky last year, they were up by like I think twenty three, and then Kentucky came back to tie the game in point at one point. Similar thing happened where they were up by like twenty against Alabama at home. Alabama came back, so it's just it is it is kind of a trend, unfortunately, for this team, even with different rosters that go up to a big lead then. Relax a little bit, and so it, it's a carryover from last year, and we'll see if they can get it corrected. Not a lot inspired me that they can contend when they get into SEC play yet, but they're still kind of a mystery as a team, even though we've seen them now play once. I want to see them get in that rotation, see how they can learn from whatever happened Monday, and, and apply it. At the end of the day, if Missouri, this is the best we're going to see from Missouri. This is a team that's not going to make the tournament. 
they got to they got to improve a lot by the time SEC play comes. Yeah, but the, a lot of the improvements are things that you can. I mean, that, that are just more mental things. I mean, that that long stretch where they they just got stagnant offense in the second half. They were just settling for just bad mid range contested jumpers. I mean, they would just dribble the ball around, dribble the ball around, just just drip the shot clock down, and to the point where I was like, well, we have to throw something up, and that's that's the kind of thing where it's like, okay, well, if you can't, I mean, you can't consistently do that in the SEC, let alone the non-conference play. But I mean, when you talk about it, that's that's the mental part of like, okay, there's ten seconds, let's do something instead of like, hmm, let's dribble the ball around for a little bit more. There's there's also the point where there was just two bad shot clock violations in a row. But then again, like that's just the first game. I mean, this is a whole basically you talk about a whole new roster playing with each other for the first time in live game action, missing three guys against a team like Central Michigan. So, uh, I mean, they had everything to gain, Missouri had everything to lose, and. So I I can see it I can see that being the thing you can you can fix I saw it a couple of years ago watching them in major basketball so the Utah they they settle for so many bad jumpers at times but the way they got around that was finding a good three point shooter and the the, the boon in here is the good the like the the good the pro of this entire conversation is. Missouri has a couple really good three three point shooters. Boogie Coleman, I mean, seeing him hit those threes, Javon Pickett hitting that three when they Central Michigan cut it to two to push it back to five and to really just suck the air right out of Central Michigan, that's what you're looking for. And and that, and that's why I feel like they got it. And you don't have to have the tallest team, but you just have to play hard on the team that has the tallest player. So that's to me when I see that, I think they can they can surprise people, especially if they can find a way to play more cohesively and just just not get satisfied, just don't get stagnant. Maybe I shouldn't just be such a Debbie Downer when it comes to the team. Maybe not being a Turkey Tim, but you know you just have to look forward and see just how this team can play better. And the border wars a month from today. So does, can this team beat Kansas right now? No. Can they get there? Possibly. We'll see. But Mizzou women start today as well. Uh, National Signing Day was yesterday, and we had it covered with everybody online with, uh, with the Boone County kids. So, yeah. All right. We've talked for long enough this week. For Chris Kwasinski, I've been Eric Blum. Thank you for listening to this week's Mizzou Sports Podcast, and we will see you next time.